Hello and welcome to the bonus podcast for episode 436 of Conversation Street and today we are going to be talking about Coronation Street in the early 80s. We've reached that point at last, Gemma. It seems like so long since we did the end of the 70s. It was about nine or ten weeks ago, I think. But finally, we have reached the end of 1984 on our DVD and YouTube rewatch and share our thoughts and opinions on our dear listenership. Yes, we can. Yes, Gemma's ready for this. We're going to do this. We're going to talk to you all about the early 1980s. Well, we've literally just finished watching the final episode that's on the discs for 1984, and it was absolutely tragic because it was Stan Ogden's funeral. (laughs) I know. One of the saddest episodes of Coronation Street of all time, perhaps. It it was. Right. I'm going to have a but, but you tell me what you think first. You're going to have a burp? But. No, but. My but is that I could have done with all the episode being dedicated to that because Stan was such a brilliant character. Him and Hilda, like, best partnership ever on Coronation Street. Literally, over the past 20 years' worth of Coronation Street that we've been watching, they've been the the one constant, always reliable, fantastic double act. And then we had Eddie joining for, you know, five oh, years yeah, or so. And now it's gone. Both uh, Eddie's moved away. He's got married to Marion. Stan's dead. Just left Hilda. And, and I Aww. think that they... He deserved to have an even better episode than that because it was good and all of the stuff that should have been good was. And Hilda having a little cry at the end, great. I just <laughs> felt like I didn't need it. the scenes in there that were about Bet getting miffed because some policeman wouldn't go out with her or whatever it was, or she wouldn't go out with him. I wasn't even paying attention. I was like, I don't care about that. Get me onto the get me onto the tragedy. Get me onto the pathos. Oh. I've seen if you're a Coronation Street fan and you've watched clip shows, you will have seen surely you would have seen the clip of Hilda crying over the over the glasses and mm. it was even more poignant and sad in context because she starts off and everyone's rallying around her and like you know oh don't don't worry says Billy I'll I'll put the spread on at the Rovers you don't have to pay for it and people are making cups of tea for everyone and helping to host yeah we but you know at the end of at the end of it all you knew that you she was going to end up by herself and that's the final scene that we get is her crying over Stan's Yeah, and, they, and a couple of the characters had made a thing throughout the episode, hadn't they, about the fact that she hadn't cried yet. And even Vera in the scene oh, before. Oh, was being a right old cow. <laughs> Saying, what was she say? No, then they've got no sense, sense no, no feelings. feelings. So she can she, talk. The thing, the thing with Hilda is she was always about appearances for her. Even though she didn't have much, she was... She, she had her pride. Yeah, exactly. She really did have her pride and she she had to wait until she was on her own Aww. to break down and, and mourn Stan. And it wasn't just Stan, was it? It was Jean mourning yeah, Bernard Ewens. It's, it's sad when a character on Coronation Street dies that you like, but it's even more sad when you know the reason the character's gone is because the actor has died in real life. Yeah, and... Oh. Uh, and Jean Alexander was, is so, so tiny and yeah. she was scurrying around that house all... Tiny, tiny little lady in a big coat and her gloves, getting ready to go to the funeral. And, and still wanting husband. to, you know, make sure everyone was okay and put on the spread for them and everything. But I mean, you, you could see it coming, couldn't you? Because in the past few years, Bernard Ewan's you, he he deteriorated. Don't say it in such a horrible way. Oh, I'm not. It was just sad. I'm not criticising him the way for you said it. it. You sounded quite contented. It was it was really really sad seeing him just going downhill in like you know 1980. Two, three, four. It's definitely a decline from his heyday. Yeah. It, and it, get, it is sad to watch. Some, sometimes the actors 
I think especially in the olden days, were so passionate and dedicated to the characters in the show that they, I think they stayed on a bit longer than perhaps they should have done. Yeah, I mean, you, 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 we've had quite a few characters, even in recent times, where the actors have died, you know, in situ, like um, Betty in Driver, um, Matthew yeah. Jones, for example. But I, don't, I, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even say with those two, they, they seemed as bad as, as Bernard was before Stan finally left. Mm. It, was, it was really, really tragic. And what we didn't see any of on the DVD was um, some of the scenes, because they made out that he was around for a good what six months or so didn't yeah, they, they after did. he made his final appearance and we didn't see any of the scenes that i remember watching on granada plus uh 20 or so years ago he was like banging on the floor and hilda was calling oh, up really? to him and how yeah. long after he left his, his final scene did he die i can't he remember died? no i don't Sorry. remember what it was um but oh it was it was so so sad because like i said i think the ogdens have been such a, a favorite couple of mine and um i, I think they probably are now my favourite Corrie couple ever. Ooh. Yeah, I know. I'm going to go out there and say... One thing I noticed in the 1980s that we weren't getting as much of, and I suppose it was partly because of, um, of well, Stanza Bernard's declining health, was the the standalone Ogden caper episodes, which we really enjoyed yeah. in the 70s, did we? Yeah. There were a few. There was, like, the one where um, Eddie found out, or he thought that Bert... I'm forgetting the names, but now that Stan was allergic to beer... That I can't remember did... what he was allergic to in the end. No, no. I can't remember. I, that, that one it was something else. Yeah, that one doesn't really <laughs> stand out to me. And then there was the one where um, Stan had accidentally um, taken or, or, or thrown all of Hilda's clothes away. <laughs> and then they had to go down the tip. And, and we'd seen that one when we, back when we went to the Corrie Fest back in 2012, 2013, hadn't we? And even that one, it was like, when I rewatched it now, it's like, it's, it's not that good because they what only stayed for a few about? scenes at the tip. It wasn't a whole episode. Oh. I'm just saying in the 70s, it would be, oh, this is the episode where Stan gets locked down in the basement. This is the episode where Hilda shows off her mural. This is the episode where um, Stan and Eddie brew beer in the bath. Whereas these ones were a bit like, here's a normal episode. And as, the, as, a, as a side story to this, Stan, Hilda and Eddie get up to X, Y and Z. So I, I did miss that. And oh, But yeah, really, really sad. But I, I'm glad but we know, got to, to see their best. Yeah, exactly. We got to see some great episodes. And the reason you're so sad is because they were such great characters. Mm. And Eddie as well. I mean, let, let's talk about Eddie while we're oh, here. Oh, right. So Eddie... He he. Um, He'd already been in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'd been in it since I think seventy four. Maybe he came in. So we saw yeah. him in his heyday in the early seventies. But he left in eighty three. I think. I, yeah, it was because he he ends up leaving on the night of Hilda and Stan's Ruby wedding anniversary, doesn't he? Because he's got married to Marion oh, by this point. Yeah. And then he just slips also... away into the night, which is kind of tragic. But also they didn't make a big thing of it, and it it kind of it felt right. But that was so sad. Because uh, um, Jeffrey Hughes had said that he didn't like the idea of Eddie getting married. He always saw him as a bachelor, so he left the programme. Apparently, this is what I've read. But I, I, <laughs> well, I love. I feel sorry for the actress who played Marion then, because I actually really liked her, and I thought... I, I'm glad you did. We haven't talked much about Marianne, her, just, you know, off... off was she... No, was she, what, off... Off recording or anything like that. I, I thought, I'm glad you liked her, because I thought she think? was lovely. I, I thought she was great. I think, She's a really nice... Yeah. Marion and Eddie were one of the most genuine, relatable 
couples yeah. on the street, even though they had that stupid thing where Marion couldn't decide who to get married to. I thought that was a bit silly. But, oh, that was, um, yeah. But just how easy they were with each other and how comfortable that they seemed to be. It really did feel... I felt much more invested in them than any other characters. I like that they were in modern couriers as new couples. Absolutely, they didn't need to put in any airs and graces. They just were what they were, weren't they? They, they didn't was need to. So charismatic. She was, but she didn't like. She wasn't sexy, was no, she? she in was, inverted commas. No. She just had a like. She had a, a lovely kind of smile. Quiet... <sighs> she was just really, really affable wasn't she and mm. and friendly even though she wasn't a pushover because she stood up for herself when she had to but she was just like just easy, so easy going as well and she fit so well with eddie um yeah, and it, just like just like the the best kind of love stories especially on coronation street is the woman who drags the man you know up to her level trying to trying to civilize and tame him because eddie like like um but um I've forgotten the actor's name. Jeffrey, Jeffrey Hughes. Like he said, um, he is very—he was very much a bachelor, like a grotty kind of cigarette-smoking slob. Yeah, but certainly so. nowhere near as bad as Stan was. I think no. being around Stan and how lazy and useless Stan was kind of kicked Eddie into into gear a little bit and made him think, "I don't want to end up like this, just being a slug." Yeah, I was. Just... I always always I thought it was funny when Stan. For quite you know persistently was telling Eddie don't get married don't do it you don't want to end up like I know, me he's like, been a bit of a git about it, it was wasn't like it you're but being he was... waited on hand and foot by a woman who adores you and, and only nags you because you're being useless yeah but I totally thought it was in Stan's character to say that mm. um but because yeah I... really he even though she did everything for him he just saw her as a barrier to getting beer money yeah exactly and make it and nagging him to go out to work <laughs> I just I saw Marion as almost like the reward for Eddie after you know a, a lifetime of you know ducking and diving yeah and and, and, and scraping by yeah and I know he was a he was a bit of, yeah he was he was ducking and diving he was a bit of a criminal he'd oh, been in a, prison and everything but, but being you know associated with the Ogdens meant that he kind of absorbed their bad luck in a way didn't I know. he um, nothing and, ever went right for them no but he was such a, a genuinely nice guy I know um, always wanted to help everybody <gasps> and it felt like yeah if you you know he got his karma in the form of Marion who wouldn't say boo to a goose really it's not that she was a, yeah she wasn't a pushover like you said but I can I, I just thought that they had a really really happy ending and maybe it was the right time for him to go Especially if Stan hadn't been around, I don't know whether it would what have worked. What do you think it would have been and... like if it had just been um, Eddie and Hilda? I'm I sure... don't think it would have worked as well because they needed that f- that kind of friction of Stan, didn't they? Because they because like Eddie and Hilda would both cover for Stan against the other person mm. on occasion. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I also quite liked um, Marion's going going back to her again. Her relationship with Elsie. Um, I, she ended up being a lodger at yeah, Elsie's. Yeah, she did. Because since Elsie came back at the end of the 70s, she has just been a mother hen. Yeah, but it never really worked for me, what I saw with her and Gail and Susie. And, and Susie never impressed me. She made a brief comeback in 84, didn't she, Susie Birchall, all flame-haired. And I'm like, no, nope, I didn't I like you first time, her. Susie. I, I don't like you this time. She was a big cow and she tried she to she tried to seduce Brian, didn't she? So it's like, yeah, she did, she's, that she's cow. A, that's a real clunker of a character for me, Susie Birchall, I'm afraid. 
Um, but yeah, Elsie, she got a bit more of a lease of life in her final years, partly because of, yeah, I, I like the relationship with her and Marion. The, the stuff when Elsie susses that Marion's pregnant was mm. was sweet. And, and and then Hilda finds out as well, doesn't she? And she Aww. kind of, she tells her off a little bit. She's like, oh, because this was before she and Eddie were married. Yeah. And Hilda kind of goes, mm, well, you blah, blah, blah. But she's so, so thrilled because Eddie was a bit of a you know, surrogate son to her, wasn't he? Like yeah. a better son than Trevor ever could have been, and so it was almost like she was a she was a granny, and it was really sweet earlier in in uh, eighty four when um, Eddie rings up the Rovers. This was only a few episodes ago, I think, that we watched, and is he talking to Bet on the phone? And Hilda's there cleaning around, and she's like asking Bet to say, "Oh, ask oh, him." Oh yeah, th- this baby. was when the baby yeah. was born. What's, what? How how big is it? How big is the baby? That was really funny because it was Hilda going, "How." And who was it on the phone? Better or Betty? I, th- I think it was Betty. It might have been Betty. How big's a baby? Oh, he's nine pounds. Oh, nine pounds. <laughs> yeah, I, I just I loved all of that. Aww. Um So yeah, Eddie and Marion, oh, lo- loved them. Uh, I- I'm so glad you did too. Um, let Let's scroll back a bit because we've kind of launched straight into the Ogdens, who are just the the best, absolutely the best, and and talk about the the period in general. Because for me. Yes. It was one that I was kind of looking forward to because I had the idea in my head that the 80s were a bit of a golden era for me for Coronation Street. And even though I obviously never watched it back then, but I saw it on Granada Plus and it seemed to me that it was going to be the period when some real big characters were all there together. So every scene just there, there, there. Legends. So le- legend upon legend, just next to each other in the bar. And, and also some of the big stories came along. It And... It definitely, it, it felt less, it, 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 I did get that. As a whole, I would say the first half of the 1980s, there were, there were definitely quite, on the whole, the episodes were good, better than, and there weren't so many ones that there were in the, in the 70s where I was thinking, I don't know why they put this on the DVD, I don't know what, this is a bit dull, this is a bit dull. There were a few like that, but on the whole, the standard was, was good, but maybe there weren't quite so many outstanding episodes, again, as there had been in the 60s, which is out of the, the decades that we've seen so far, it was the 60s when I look back and think almost every episode there has got a heck of a lot going for it. Mm. What what's your impressions of the eighties so far? Well, I remember saying about the seventies, like, oh, I feel like it's a transition from like the classics to the the more modern era. And I think I can't remember who it was from Coropedia. I can't remember if it was Coropedia or Seventies Street fan. Oh, it might have been you. some yeah, so who are like I'm really surprised to hear you say that because actually I think it's more the eighties that was like that because of all the comings and goings and I totally see that now because the eighties really is the, the real transition between modern Coro- yeah. you know Car- yeah, but Coronation Street is always in a constant state of transition because mm. of the very nature of the show. Character wise, yeah. I think you're right. The eighties and when we saw a Quite a turnover yeah, in well, the early just, 1980s. Let me just list but, you but, oh, go on the then. leaving characters that left in this brief period of 1980 to 1984. In no particular order. Stan Ogden, Eddie Yates, Annie Walker, Ina Sharples, Elsie Tanner, Albert Tatlock, Fred Chew, Len Fairclough, Billy Walker, Bert Tilsley, Susie Butcher, and Rene Bradshaw. Now, the majority of those are iconic yeah, classic cold classic characters. Legends all gone in the space of five years Mm. it really did feel like a changing of the guard with some of those last you know lingering names from the 60s leaving so that which left us kind of with with Alf with Ken obviously with Emily 
and apart from that, yeah, it that they're all gone. They so, were kind of relying on you know newer characters like Vera, Mike. Yeah, definitely. The Duckworths uh, grew much more in importance <laughs> in the in this in the first half of the eighties. I'm sure we'll get back to them. But later. if you think about who came in, there was them. There, there were still some big names, but not legends. Not not like. I mean, some really big names, some, the, the still main... some classic people, but the, the people that left are people who will go down in history mm. just because they were there near the very beginning. Mm. And they were also amazing characters and amazing actors. Yeah, so I was going to say, I well, probably did, I don't remember. Yeah, character-wise, this is a transition time, but I still feel like, to me, the 80s felt like an early version of how Coronation Street is now in a way. I don't agree with and, that. And more, you know, every episode has got, you know, three, four plot lines going on, fewer standalone episodes. It it didn't feel so historical to me. Right. And I don't know whether that was just because I was born in the 80s as well, and I don't remember a whole lot about living in the 80s, but 70s and obviously 60s felt like another era. It felt like I was watching a, you know, this is how they used to live in the past sort of thing, whereas 80s, it's like, yeah, that's a bit like us, but without without the internet oh, in a funny. way i think i think to me it still retained that really important sense of community mm. and everyone living in each other's pockets and everybody knowing each other and being intensely oh, involved in each other's lives which unfortunately we totally lack in coronation street now to the extent at which Cory couples seem less invested in one another than say vera in hilda's marriage you know, I know what you mean. Total strangers to each other are modern Cory characters, whereas these in the 80s and all, all the years previous to that really did feel like you're watching a show about a group of people. Hmm. Whereas modern Cory really, at times, feels like they could just as well be living in a completely different place to all these different characters and storylines could be taking place in completely different parts of the country for all that they intermingle with one another yeah you, and you, it, you're it's, right, fo- you're it's right. because there's a lack of community spaces well there isn't that's the trouble coronation street used to focus around one communal space which was everyone went to the rovers and now in modern Korea, i think that they've over invested too much in in a, a variety of different places which makes sense from the point of view that it's more realistic, but sadly does nothing to build a sense of community. It seemed like almost every episode in, in the Corrie in the 80s, there'd be scenes in the Rovers, like at the end of the episode, everybody's had their separate stories and then they come together at the mm. end of the Rovers to, to, to intermingle and interweave, which, yeah, There's we don't... There's a lot more reason for incidental meetings. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Not just as people happening to, to walk past and overhear somebody talking or about... Walk, yeah, what, what, walking they're past being the flower about. shop. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, one one reason that I thought it felt a bit more like a young version of a modern Corrie is the beginnings of the more headline grabbing storylines, for example. And I would say that the Ken Deirdre oh, yeah. Mike love triangle was the very first big big story that felt like a big story, and that felt like. I'm not surprised that this caught the public's attention and made the papers like and got, got emblazoned on the Man U football uh, yeah. banners during it because we watched, that was in 1983, and I have to say that 1983, and I'm, and I'm not just being biased here because that was when I was born, that was a brilliant year of Coronation Street. That There was so much awesomeness in 1983. We watched tonnes of it, didn't we? I also just want to 
interject here and say, yeah, definitely, there's definitely a sense of um, headline grabbing and really sort of meaty headline stories, right? They've... But but they're still very much grounded in the, the very, very basic facts of people's lives you know the the biggest story was a love triangle which is not something that's alien to very many people's lives not like these days where coronation street will focus on things that might be a bit more out of your everyday experience Mm. which is good as well but you know it was a different approach back in the day but i just want to add in that one of the stories on on these discs was the second time that the BBC license people, oh, yeah, the television TV license, license van, yeah. came, van came stalking the, the denizens of the street like some kind of Spring Hill Jack of the mm. 1980s, trying to catch people out. I just absolutely love that that was a really important and sinister kind of, and it's and it's the second time they've done one as well, which goes to show you what an important <laughs> what an important part of of like working class people's lives worrying about things like that was and yeah. it's a really neat way of doing it and i don't know if everybody listening if, if you're from the uk you know exactly what we're talking about but if you're from a different country you might realize that you have to buy a tv license in this country really to be able to watch television it for the bbc which is a funded through the state mm. even if you don't watch bbc you have to watch it if you've got your television plugged in so yes. you have and it's quite a lot of money Mm. Um, I can't remember what the story was this time with it because I remember before it was that Hilda did it. Stan tried to hide the TV and ended up breaking it or something, didn't he? And it turned out that Hilda had already gone to get hers. I think it was Jack and Vera who were um, tied up in it this time. Yeah, Jack and Vera. I think it was um, she was convinced that they had one, and she was like, "Again, it's oh, the yeah, second that's time right, that, that a right. woman has gone." I have a TV licence, I'm going to show it to you. And and the first time it was Annie, he didn't have a TV licence because Jack used to do it and he died. Oh, yeah. And then this time, right. Vera, Vera's like, her hus- my husband's not dead, he's just completely bloody useless because he went <laughs> into the post office to buy a TV licence and probably came out with yeah, the money still the in his pocket. Instead, hmm. Yeah, So going back to 1983 then, so the very beginning of this was... The, the Ken Dead You Might Love triangle had just kind of kicked off the previous New Year, Christmas sort of time, hadn't it? And it ramped up quite quickly because it was, what, February maybe that they had that iconic Mike at the Door episode, you know, the one that Bill Roach can't stop yapping on about. <laughs> and And so there must have only been, what, 15 episodes maybe from start to finish of it. But it didn't feel like it was rushed. It felt like no, they really, perfectly really natural lingered. time. And it was. It did feel like each that we saw many, many episodes of Deirdre being seduced by Mike. And she did. Just, she resisted at first. She basically didn't she? just went round there to just like get away from her family. And he was like, "Would you like some wine? Would you like to sit and talk?" And it's like he's just waiting to get into your pants, Deirdre. But the whole time she's like, "Oh, Ken doesn't really understand me." Oh, and he's like, "I do. I don't understand you. You're a woman, and you want." shag me because <laughs> like that, there was one where did um deirdre wanted to go to the pictures with ken but he wanted to watch some documentary oh, on yeah, channel four like... and he then he wanted to go to some boring hobnobbing event with in the council I can't, I can't remember what it was and he they did a really good job of showing what drudgery she was getting away from when she went over to the excitement of mike baldwin and yeah it, it didn't feel like 
It was rushed. So it was given just the right amount here. of time. And that is that I I couldn't really tell you what Deirdre's personality is supposed to be. I didn't really get a sense of her as an individual person in this storyline. But what I do think she was was a sim- symbol for women who were mothers in this era of time who saw a world where you could do anything, you know. Mm. All of a sudden, women were allowed to be high-powered lawyers and, you know, work wherever they wanted and have it all. And she's there stuck in her house with her husband telling her what to do all the time. And she has to beg for scraps of attention and has to be interested in what he's interested in and has to, you know, paint doors and cook his tea. And and she's a good-looking girl with a lot to give but she basically is kind of trapped by marriage mm. and then along comes mike with his fancy leather sofas and sort of says hey you could be you could have an exciting life you don't have to just be a mum yeah and she kind of jumped on it didn't she it because was almost ken- like i feel like i'm on deirdre's side but i know i shouldn't be morally she's married to ken but and but ken was just well, no, being it, so boring really and, and the other with tragedy ken. with ken was he was going for a job at the same time wasn't he and, oh, then, God, he, talk- and then he didn't oh, get it and it was just like what, what a failure it's hilarious because we heard about this job every single episode in passing and it really was like somebody's real life because you would hear about something over and over again well Deirdre when we get this new job when I get this new job we can move or well I'm going to hear about the job soon like Coronation Street just doesn't have time for things like that anymore Mm. but it did really feel like you were right in there yeah. Right, in really involved and, in them, and, and that in was the, and their little minute details. That was a great final scene in the episode where Ken doesn't get the job, um, because it, it, this is also when he when Ken finds out about the affair, isn't it? Is is it like at the same is it the same day or a couple of days, a couple of episodes after? I can't remember. This this was the first time or one of the first times that we decided to just watch a whole string of YouTube episodes, didn't we? Because yeah, it yeah. was so gripping. We did it. I think this is the, the one of the reasons why we're. I mean, later than we were going to be to do the first half of the 80s is because we watched more episodes in this half a decade than we had done for any of them because there were some cheated. stories we were just really, really gripped with. But yeah, Ken finds out from Deirdre. Um, well, first of all, Emily finds out as well. Oh That's yeah, Emily finds out. That's brilliant. Spanners in the works is that Emily, obviously as a committed Christian and also very morally upstanding, really believes in the institution of marriage and also very, very invested in Tracy... Mm. As, as her godmother as her god- godmother as the daughter of Deirdre knowing that if Deirdre does leave Ken she'll take Tracy with her and sort of saying what is she going to end up with a third father is Mike going to be her dad you have to tell Ken you have to stop I can't hold your secrets anymore it's weighing on my mind I really really love this because it really was like Deirdre had a devil on her shoulder that was Mike Baldwin and an angel on the other side that was Emily Bishop a totting angel. Going, you've got to tell him, you've got to tell him. And also, she worked for Mike at the same time. Yeah. And she ended up saying she had to quit her job because she literally couldn't look him in the eye knowing that he was having an affair. Mm. And it really was really, really interesting. And it shows you the importance of rooting conflict in personalities and char- in characters' relationships with one another. Because even though it was a very mundane dilemma... There's nothing sensational or out of this world or unique about Emily's situation. But because it was rooted in years and years and years of establishing this character mm. as somebody who you know wouldn't be able to put up with that, it was really compelling to watch her wrestle with her conscience yeah. and just not be able to cope with 
with with just being responsible for for not telling Ken or yeah holding yeah. yeah I just really so so eventually Ken finds out that he hasn't got this job and and I think he finds out from Deirdre that the reason that he didn't get it he wasn't he wasn't dynamic enough and this is when it all comes out about the affair and this is when he does his big speech about I'm boring am I and that that's a a well played clip in the clip shows as well and, and that was a that was a terrific final scene where he. Yeah, just, where he had a massive go at Deirdre because yeah, this but again, is like you married me. You knew this. What this again, is like, yeah. like when I a very very good example of in the eighties traditional ways of life were were kind of under under threat, and you've got Ken who's there going. I've played by the rules. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I am boring, but that's because I'm trying to educate myself. I don't go out and have fights. I don't have affairs. I'm not a womanizer. I'm a good. <laughs> I'm a good, solid citizen. Yeah, that makes me boring. So what? I'm going to lose my wife because I'm playing by the rules. That's mm. how I. That's how it kind of really read to me. And he's just brooding there, so angry like, yeah. in his boring armchair with his boring slippers and everything. Yeah. yeah, but but again, he did nothing wrong. He played by the rules completely. You couldn't find somebody who was a more upstanding citizen than Ken Barlow mm. in mm. 1983. Yeah. Um, and then, then we had the Mike at the Door episode, which was just as as brilliant as I remember from seeing it a long time ago, and the, all the clip shows and everything make it out to be. And then because Mike is and also then they make up afterwards, don't they, Ken and Deirdre? Yes, but Mike is also a very eighties personality in that he's a yuppie. Hmm. You've got Ken who stands for traditional values, education, community spirits, helping the disadvantaged youth of the area, want, want to pursue a career in social work trying to better everyone as well as himself, holding down a job and looking after a, son, a daughter who wasn't his, you know. Mm. And then you've got Mike, who's like this wide boy, cockney businessman who's like leather leather armchairs, drinking scotch, you know, playing fast and loose with his fancy sports car. Yeah. It really was a, a, a very much um, a story of the age. Yeah. And, and conflicts Fantastic. between different sorts of... A, a new way of life, if you like. Mm. So also in 1983, we had the um, the classic Rover goes in the lake scene, <laughs> which is a nice um, a nice breather from all the heavy drama of the love triangle. That was what, over a couple of episodes yeah, as well. Yeah, what I hadn't realised, even though I must have seen it, as I say, I'm going to add a plus before, was that the car wasn't Annie's at the time. I always thought that that was Annie Walker's, uh, belonged to her, Rover, that Fred for some reason borrowed. he borrowed yeah maybe because he was borrowing it all the time to drive Annie about and he drove it into the lake but it was tragic because he'd bought the he'd bought the car off of Annie hadn't he because Eddie had reversed his bin lorry into the front of it which was totally not Fred's fault but poor old Fred, Fred he gets blamed for everything he does we well, can talk about Fred in a bit because you've got you've really got like quite Fred. a soft spot for him <laughs> didn't you so he he ends up buying this rover that he's been driving for years and it's it almost felt like his car and then you know within months He's accidentally driven it into the lake, and it, it was a brilliant sort of comedy um, couple of episodes with him and Betty and Bet. Bet getting put down in the flaming cow plop. Ed, uh, Fred revealing that he wasn't in the AA anymore. Well, um, the whole reason that they went off together was because of casual <laughs> sexual harassment. Yeah, Fred trying to get into Fred Bet's was pants. convinced that he could get he could get her to sleep with him, I guess, or fool around with him, or get fresh with him if they went off to the to the lake together on, on a bank holiday and, and Bet 
slowly begins to realise that she could be in a bit of a sticky situation if she goes by herself. So she forces Betty to come with her. Mm. So all three of them go. None of them really wanted to spend any time with each other. Um, And then they end up with the car driving into the lake. And I really, I really loved the dynamic of the bar staff in this period of time because they all just really hated each other. Everybody hated each other who worked at the Rovers. In a really low stakes way. In like a just just low low key continual antagonising of each other. Mm. Bet was such a bitch, but she was brilliant, wasn't she? She was always putting people down all the time. Um, but the thing is, it just kind of rolled off everyone else's backs because Betty didn't really care what anybody thought, and she was she was kind of just grumpy all the time anyway. Yeah. And and Fred was just too a, too long in the tooth. For used to a life of continuously being knocked back all the time. I don't think he even really noticed mm. when he was being having a go. Yeah, uh, and, and Annie at the top there until she until she disappeared off. Mm. Um, that that was a really strong. I mean, we talked about it recently on the podcast, didn't we? But that that was a that was a brilliant bar team there. Um, so that was great in nineteen eighty three. We had the Jack and Vera dating agency story in that year as well, where Jack signed. Vera goes along. To, no, was it? Bet finds it, doesn't it? Bet wants to get a date, so she goes along to this Bill, and, Bill and Who dating um, place where this is a, dating. Yes, a stuffy woman there shows her the video of Jack masquerading as Vincent Claire and and Bet's reaction. Bet uh, Julie Goodyear was such a brilliant Julie actress Goodyear. for for. For expressions and reactions and... Yeah, she... Yeah, really, Bet is one of the revelations of just the entire vintage Corey watch session for me because she was so so much fun and just her own person. Like, mm. she, she never bothered to please anybody else and that's what I really liked about her. Was, um, I guess a lot of women in Coronation Street are like that, though, aren't they? But she just really did not care yeah. what anybody thought. But when she saw, when she saw, um, what's his face, Vincent Clare? Yeah. Her, her, like you say, her expression was priceless. Yeah, and when um, she's watching it in the Rovers later, because because it's the following episode where Carol Monroe, i.e. Vera Duckworth, comes in and and, and has the the date with Jack, which was just such a great scene, wasn't it? When she well, come... they set up a blind date. Yeah, I think. There's a very famous scene, but I think we should ex- take time to explain a bit more of these things. It's so so be... so Bet Bet goes Bet and, sees. Got and seen it, hasn't she? And then she got to sort of stand back in the bar and watch later that episode as Vera came in and she, Vera didn't know and that Jack and Jack didn't know and, and Bet was just like I know something that you two don't know. And... Isn't that the bit where she says no? There's a bit where she says something to um, Annie like you're not you're not one for gossip, are you, Mrs. Walker? And Annie goes no. Why? <laughs> and yeah, that then was, no, that gossip. wasn't for now. I don't think. But yeah, the, the what they what they set up is um, Jack, a, a blind date. A, yeah, a blind date because because uh, Vera finds out about what Jack's done. Hasn't I can't remember how she found out in the end. Was I it Bet that, that told Bet her? Bet just tells her, and then they agree. Then they sort of like have a every literally everybody in the Rovers knows that this is going to happen yeah. apart from apart from Jack, Jack who thinks that he's. Um, meeting meeting this Carol Monroe through the dating agency and they're going to go to the Rovers he's going to meet her at the Rovers and then take her somewhere else yeah he's going to pretend to be like, is he pretending to be because he is a taxi driver wasn't he he was going to yeah, take yeah, so her he away he told Vera else. I'm going to go uh, I've got a fair tonight so I'll be back really late and she yeah. goes oh I'll go to bingo then yeah. so he's like phew she's not going to be here I'll just quickly nip in and, and then everyone will think that I'm here to pick up my cab fare mm. but actually I'll take this lady and then we'll go somewhere else and have our proper date yeah yeah 
So that's why that's the reason why he agreed to meet this woman in the Rovers, which mm. makes no sense really, but yeah. it was it was important for the scene yeah. in which he comes into the Rovers, sees this big red wig, and then it t- she turns around and it's Vera, and she, she starts attacking him. Yeah. Ah, oh, you're no widow either. No, but I will be ten minutes after I get you home. Yeah, and everyone <laughs> in the Rovers like, ha, ha, ha. Yeah, because Jack and Vera just kind of had become sort of the laughing stock, the lovable laughing stock of the street, hadn't they? They they kind of took over the mantle of Stan and Hilda when they got a bit too old for it. Mm. That they, they they, in the same way that um, Rita was a bit of an Elsie replacement, mm. they were a bit of a Stan and Hilda replacement. You know, the down than their luck, bit lower than everybody else. Mm. Dogs but, bodies. Yeah, dog exactly, but but lovable. And, yeah. I don't really think that what I've seen of Jack and Vera so far, honestly, I don't actually find them very likable. I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Because even what Vera said about Hilda on the day of Stan's funeral, she's too stupid to cry. Basically, I I don't think that they really were establishing Jack and Vera as a iconic. I don't think that they were investing in them in that way. I just think that they ended up growing into that because of how long they were in the show. Well, I think that Bill and Liz's chemistry was just right, right from the off, wasn't it? And that that really, really helped. But they really didn't, they didn't seem to get on with each other. They they weren't sympathetic. And I I mean, there was the story earlier on, was it the 82 or something when, um, what was it? Bet, uh, uh, Jack was, Jack was having it off with Bet, wasn't he? Because they they were just having an affairs. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and Vera was having it off with somebody else, and she tells Bet, if Jack asks, then I'm with you. Yeah. And, 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 and she so had a bit Bet of a dilemma. A bit of a, that was yeah, a bit hilarious. of a quandary. Um, and and uh, I can't remember. Doesn't Vera come to Bet and say, where were, where were you last night? And, and Bet's like, well, I was with you, wasn't I, Vera? You said I was with you, and so I was with you. And, and it, yeah, but Bet just, uh... Bet just loved smiling and seeing everybody else's world collapse around her because it was it was amusing to her but yeah jack and vera they they definitely they they, they were made for each other but they great start as far as being likable no but i don't think they're supposed to be yet i think that might come later but there's no way if you were watching this in the first of the 80s and somebody said to you this couple will end up having one of the most romantic endings to to a couple that ever happens in Coronation Street, mm. where they both go off to heaven together. You <laughs> would go, bus. no way. What those two? I don't know. They don't even I, like each other. I think it seemed right from the beginning. Their chemistry was there. They just needed the right stories, and the things like the dating agency story helped. But what set up that they're both trying to play away? That's a really great way to establish my interest in them as a couple. I suppose once Terry came along and was a bit of a wrong one that sort of bound them together Imagine a little bit because he was a new, another new character in 1983. The, the main new characters of the first half of the decade, I would say, all hit in 1983, which was the trio of Kevin, Curly and Terry. And not, none of them have had loads to do yet, have they? But no. all three of those go on to be fairly iconic, some more so than others. Mm-hmm. Um, you were quite surprised at how hunky and dishy young Terry was. I didn't say was. he was hunky or dishy. Okay, uh, what I did said, you say? I just said he's well. He, he looks much more Buff. attractive than he than I because obviously he comes back as a middle aged man. He's slightly portly, but back in the day, he definitely was a good looking guy. Yeah, yeah, but that they he hasn't had much to do. He's not he's not completely 
wrong on material no. yet from from what we've seen, have we? Curly's not had a lot to do. Kevin hasn't. Ke- Ke- one of my favourite things that Curly's had to do um, was to, with his little thing around Christmas, New Year, nineteen eighty three, with Sharon. Oh yeah. And Sharon, I was gutted how few, little of her we saw on the DVDs because I remember watching those episodes on Granada Plus and absolutely loving that character. And we saw sparks of it. Every, everything that Tracy did, sort of Tracy the actress, everything that Sharon did in, in those scenes was perfect. She was so expressionate, wasn't she? She had the big eyes and she was just... She I, really did, yeah. But, but so we so saw, Sharon Gaskell was Rita and Len's foster child. Yes. And she was the one that, yeah, she really was very, very expressive. And she had her little friends, didn't she? And she sort of peered up out of she, it. She was just so cool, I thought. Yeah. And Curly falls for her in a big way around yeah. Christmas 83. And he starts his life of, you know, being the underdog where she goes to the Rovers with him and ends up going out to a UB40 concert with Terry, doesn't she? Leaving I Curly alone. Say, and poor Curly is just such a doormat. He lets that happen. Yeah. This is a very male-centric trope of a story in which the female, the woman, the girl, is always way more confident and self-assured and willing to take the guy for a ride. And, and she knows her own worth and she believes in her sexual power. This doesn't ever happen in real life. Girls don't have this sense of self-confidence self, um, in such great measures that they're like this to such an extent that it happens so regularly as it does in fiction. <laughs> Like the, the the it's really a, like a massive trope, especially I think in the eighties and nineties, of the kind of dim-witted man who's not particularly good-looking being strung along by a really really confident, sexy woman yeah, who gets feisty. what she wants out of him. Mm. That doesn't. That's not she, really, she was very she was a massive cow to Curly, but I yeah she was. They I always just, are. In the these character to stories. me is is I think a fairly forgotten character so so minor yeah. and I know she comes back in what 98 99 so I hope we get to see more of her then on the DVDs but she's one of these that just comes in for a little bit made makes a big impression on you just because of the actress I think yeah. really she was fantastic because the, the only other episode that really revolved around her was when she had she had a birthday party didn't she or something like a 17th party and Lennon yeah. Rita went out and then her brother Wayne I think comes in and makes a a scene. So it makes a scene, and then and then Len and Rita come back, and it's, it's a, and it, it wasn't was all that right episode. Di- yeah, that, that was on this disc. That was in that was in must have been well, eighty three talk- as well. So Sharon, I loved. I just want to say, and the reason that Sharon came back was because that was after Len's death. I was going to say, go on. Well, should we talk about the story of Len and Rita's? Yeah, which interestingly, but in the beginning of the nineteen eighties, it it felt like it was over already, hadn't it? Because Len and Rita had split up. I can't even remember why now. But didn't he, he buy? Is this when last time he he was supposed to buy her a present and he didn't even do it? I can't. It's, it sounds like it. And then they were still having an argument when it came to New Year's. Yeah, he he and they split up. He comes and like hounds her at a flat, doesn't he? He hits her across the face. He's a massive ass, is Len. Yeah, I still quite liked him in the. He's no, he's, he's like, my revelation. Did, oh, I thought you didn't like Len. No, I do. It's Ray Langton that I never that I don't like. Um, Ray Len Len Fairclough was a character that before we did this rewatch this year, I didn't think I liked. And in my head, it's like no, I don't like Len. I'm not going to like him, but. He's a revelation to me. I don't love him in the same way that I love Bet or Hilda or anyone like that. He's like you know he's he's a he's a decent he's a, not a, he's a decent chap because he was like, he was horrible to Rita sometimes. But on the well, whole, she, he yeah. was a proper you know down to earth. Um, 
lad. L- yeah, man. guy, guy. Well, he... Rita leaves Len and goes and gets herself a flat, doesn't she? Somewhere yeah. else. And then he kind of tracks her down and sort of forces her to come back like a caveman. Um, and by the end of the year, I think they're back together again, aren't they? Yeah, they are. But even at New Year 1980, they're still snogging everybody in the rovers, Len. Yeah. I think, it, I think you can blame the New Year's tipples for that. But then I think it's in 1981 when they decide they're going to start fostering children. Yes, and this is when Brian Capron comes on the scene, doesn't he? In a pre-Richard Hillman role, he's a, he's moonlighting as a social services visitor, isn't he? Yeah. So that's quite cool to see him. There are a few characters that I noticed on this, and, and, and this has been a bit of a theme well, throughout, really, actors who came in before beco- going on to become later characters. So I can't remember the actor's name, but the guy who played the bookie Sean Skinner was somebody's boyfriend i think he was susie birchall's boyfriend or husband or something in 83 84 and also bill waddington he went on to play percy sugden it was a friend of arnold swain's back in 1980 as well yeah and he was a, he was a lot more jolly and jovial then than the character of percy sugden turned into that that was it was nice to have those little um yeah cameos so go on what, you, what were you saying about lennon Rita? well they just decide to foster don't they and yeah. um they end up with Sharon Gaskell, like you say, and then in 1982, that's when she had her 17th birthday party and wants the house to herself, and so they have to leave her, and and then, um, yeah, Len ends up having to kick him out and sort of comes to everybody's rescue in the only way that he can do, which is by being physically menacing to everybody. Mm. Um, yeah, I can't remember what else happened. I don't think there was a whole lot, really. I mean... Because he go he disappears for quite a while, doesn't he? A bit like Stan, his on-screen exit was quite a long way after we last saw Peter Adamson on the street. Yeah, and um, he had a bit of a he, he was supposedly doing exit. building in Ashton under line or something, didn't he? Yeah. But yeah, um, Peter Adamson had um, had nailed Coronation Street publicly in the tabloids, I believe. And he'd gone back on some agreement that he'd made with Granada, and they were like, right, I don't you're think out. they and he had had alcoholic issues as well. Yeah, alcoholism issues. Um, so he he has an off-screen exit, but it is one of the sort of earliest examples of Coronation Street having a happy event, and then something sad happens. I mean, we had Harry Hewitt right at the very beginning of the show who died during oh, Elsie. Was that? Was it Elsie and, and Steve's wedding? wedding. Yeah. But then it's all the way back until like 1982, or when was it? I can't remember. 83. When, when another, another one for 83. What a classic year 83 was. Another episode that was Stan and Hilda's Ruby yes. wedding celebration, and they're all together and having a great time. Yeah. And Rita has to sing, um, and she's, she's there, and then the police come, and they have to go and lead her out and tell her that mm. Len's died in a car crash. And coming down the motorway or whatever, which he shouldn't have actually been going down if his story was true. Right. Um, and, and we we got some fantastic action from Barbara, didn't she, we? Yeah, she in, in was the, in the really, really following really episode. She did some hardcore widowing in that next episode. <laughs> she she had the voices playing when she went to the um oh, yeah, yeah. went to the yard. She was fantastic. Oh, yeah. She had a proper breakdown, didn't she? But yeah. what I also found interesting was this this bit on the side that Len had been having comes to visit Rita not long afterwards, isn't she? And uh, tries to explain. I said we started off fitting my kitchen, and then I, I my husband had left me or something, and he started just being nice and. Mm. And, and and Rita and this this woman end up bonding over Len's death, over, over their grief, and Rita doesn't take it out on her. But then also, Len, 
I think Len gets off with it quite lightly, doesn't he? He's mm-hmm. for someone who had been having an affair, his <laughs> name wasn't really dragged fully through dragged through the mud. No, especially where it certainly could have been because of what the actor had said about the show. I also really liked how Emily came and comforted Rita and talked to her about what it's like to lose your husband and mm. saying about remember the good times and things like that and I think Rita says something like oh thank you for being the only person to talk about the future yeah because Elsie also comes around as well doesn't she because she'd she had obviously had, a had thing that for, for her and Len and yeah um yeah um that that was that was fantastic so I'm just yeah, that was a really good episode as well as Dan and Hilda's Ruby wedding party because that's also the episode where um Marion and Eddie leave so actually we had three characters leaving in one episode mm-hmm. I'm just looking down our 1983 notes to see if there's any more oh the autumn fair which is a nice little standalone one that was Annie Walker's final episode wasn't it not that you would know it at the time but that was before again her another unintentional scandal. Yeah, um, well, it wasn't a scandal. Well, no, well, it was a scandal, not that she'd done she anything. Was, was... She had a scandal perpetrated against her. Yes, yeah, quite. Um, but, yeah, there was, the, there was the cake competition, wasn't there? Because Annie and Hilda and Mavis had all made their little homemade cakes. Um, and then we had Victor Pendlebury come along, uh, Mavis's um, uh, pompous beau, who'd put his um, pottery, pottery down. <laughs> next, and it turned out that it was used as a, in, like, a coconut-shy kind of thing. Um, yeah, to smash them. Yeah, um, that was, I think, the first time that we might have seen Percy. Um, Mavis makes a mystery Madeira cake. Oh, yeah, which it's got sage. Which ingredient was sage. <laughs> that, was, that, was a, that was a nice community episode, which there felt like there had been more of in the earlier days. Yeah. And we don't get much more of since. No, it's really sad. I love things like that. Yeah. Um, so, anyway, that, that was my 1983. It was just... Um, yeah, fab, fab, fab. Yeah, what else? What else did we have? Who else did we have appear in a, in this, in this? Oh, Elmer. Now she was an interesting one because I I didn't realise until I had to look just the other day. But she she's disappeared. Yeah. She wasn't in it since nineteen eighty two. She was in it for a little bit in nineteen eighty one, nineteen eighty two, wasn't it, Amanda Barry? And then she doesn't come back again until eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty nine. Maybe she kind of comes in as like um, a flighty. Almost airheaded, but not re- like she. It's not that she's airheaded. She just doesn't really care about the cafe, does she? She's like yeah, looking she's after husband, him isn't it, on, for, on for behalf Jim. of her her husband, and she's just like this isn't really my game. Like she definitely seems smart, but but kind of like flaky, mm. you know, because she she's often not there when she's supposed to be, and she hires yeah, various Gale in the lurch. She hires various um, street denizens to her underlings in there and then just kind of buggers off yeah but she was quite she was very glamorous yeah she, she was i'm looking forward to seeing her come back again yeah I was, I was surprised that she went away for so long we also had uh percy sugden who sort of hits the ground running and he he's just the you know, albert tatlock replacement kind of oh, so albert tatlock never, never grew to really like him from what we saw on the dvds did you and he ended I, up I've... he was okay I thought, and I can't say much more than that. I I really sympathised with him because it did feel like he was. He was a character who had been kind of, I feel like some people, are so representative of of their golden era of their life that they never leave it. Like he really felt like he was still stuck, 
in like the 40s, mm. you know. I felt bad for him. I think one of my favourite Albert bits was during the Ken Mike Deirdre Love Triangle and he was there because his bedroom oh. was next door to the lounge, wasn't it? And and he's really upset to hear to hear that well, Deirdre's going to be leaving Ken. And... It was also kind of poignant in that he was almost like the, the child in a divorce going, well, who's going to look after me? Mm. What's going to happen to me, Uncle Albert? Because he had sort of got to the stage where he relied on them all so much and I think that they forgot that he needed them and they had a social responsibility to to, yeah. to him because they were living in his bloody house. Mm, mm. So, anyway, Percy Sugden was, you're right, a bit of a replacement for him, a bit more livelier and he's... I, I enjoyed well, it, I him I found the, it really um, interesting that he's not even retired in this yet. Now I know. Cause, cause he's like, working at the community centre, yeah, isn't he? He's yeah. the uh, caretaker. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed him at the 1984 Street Olympics when he was spending the whole episode trying to get the megaphone off of Alf because his thing is just he just wants to boss everyone around. Yeah, he, yeah, he wasn't at all like Albert Tatlock really, but he was the sort of mascot old man character mm, yeah. that they wanted to have. Yeah, what what hasn't um, blossomed yet is the relationship between him and Phyllis because really Percy's known for being the other half of a double act with Phyllis Pierce or the the um, unwilling, unwilling double act with Phyllis Pierce because she makes an appearance in 83 I'm gonna say and she's not she's not really set the world on fire yet, she has hasn't she, started with suing him yet but when he does it's when she does it's sort of like when you see a pigeon in a park two pigeons and there's the one that's standing reluctantly in the middle trying to turn its face away and the other one that's like prancing around ducking its head up and down and fanning its tail out. Yeah, usually the male pigeon but in yeah. this case. <laughs> Phyllis is the female pigeon but the, the, the male pigeon. But yeah, we haven't got to that yet. So it's nice to see Phyllis because uh, we'd seen Jill Summers back in the 70s make a one-off appearance um, as a cleaner, I think. But now she's on the show. She comes in with as a... Um, the grandma of Craig Whiteley, whose granddad is Chalky Whiteley, and he just kind of comes and goes, doesn't he, Chalky? Yeah. And another old man, he's like, I, I just felt, I was watching him thinking, you don't belong here. I don't really need you. I don't you need you. He, well, he was just... Um, he was... Um, po-faced. Eddie's co-worker. Yeah, he was. He was on the bins. That was another thing we didn't say about Eddie and Marion, how they met over the CV radio no. with the Stardust Lil and the Slim Jim. It was great. But yeah, Chalky Whiteley, he was just miserable. Oh, yeah, because um, Eddie pretended that he was like a bigwig, didn't he? Yeah. He had like a... He was... He brings he brings Marion round to Mike Baldwin's flat. Yeah. I mean, he just got the he's keys. trying to hide, him, hide his real his true self, but in the end, he has to reveal and Marion's fine with it, as you can imagine. Yeah. So, yeah, d- d- any any impression of about Chalky from no. you? No, Just, yeah, yeah, he, he was only around for about a year, wasn't he? Um, who else did we have? Bill Webster came on the scene. Now, Bill Webster, another person who's very physically different from yeah. how he ends up, just like Terry Duckworth, he, he in my mind, he's a perpetually middle-aged, portly old with a moustache, very yeah. important, the moustache. Yeah. But back in the early 80s, because he disappears for bit, 10 years or so. Yeah, he's got, he, like, very prominent cheekbones, yeah. for example. And he's walking around in his um, in his Mario Brothers yeah. outfit, isn't he, basically? I mean, it's, yeah, it's just funny seeing a younger version of him, but yeah. he, he, his character was pretty much the same as it yeah, so the Websters turn up, don't they? Kevin yeah. and and Denise and Debbie is Debbie. Debbie sorry, yeah, yeah, Debbie. Who at the moment? It's, it's funny seeing her now because we're seeing her on Modern Coronation Street, 
but back in then, she she didn't make much of an impression. On, for, no, we've only she seen was her, like what, three episodes, sister, maybe. Wasn't she? She was sixteen I doing, a, get G- to the doing pub. a CSEs. She failed all her exams. Yeah, and she gets a job working in the cafe. Yeah, she she doesn't seem to have a huge personality from what we've seen, but we may we've only seen a bit of it because she she's got this biker boyfriend, doesn't yeah. she? And on on the episodes that we don't see, she ends up getting into a crash with him. But I mean, yeah, she didn't didn't make much of her in what we saw. Um, who else did we have? That was, let, let's, let's talk Fred. He's not a new character because he first made his appearance towards the end of the 70s after the um, the Mount Britain warehouse fire, didn't he? But we got yes, really sucked first, in. His first wife died, right? Yeah, yeah. In a fire. Yeah, Edna. And then he just sort of becomes a... a pe- like, it feels like a permanent fixture, but obviously nobody is in Coronation Street. It, behind the bar, in the Rovers, as the dog's body of literally everybody... He's like the most henpecked person in the entire history of the show, and he's a character that you knew nothing about, right. really, isn't him? We've ne- we never really talk about on the podcast. We haven't done a character profile of like him yet, but you really fell for him. The position, or I didn't fall for him. Oh, you know, you, you the got the position a soft, soft of, spot for him. Of Potman is a is a job that doesn't exist on Coronation Street, but it was a significant one for a brief. Well, brief period of about 30 During years. During the 80s. Well, no, because the various other people sort of took over the job, didn't they, as Potman over mm. the years. But I think Fred G is the sort of the one that... Yeah. Cause Fred, it, Fred and then later Jack. So, yeah, he was just... He wasn't even particularly likeable. It's just because no, he was kicked around all the time by everyone. He was a, he was a bit of a dirty old man, wasn't he? Was he was not quite cha- old. A dirty ch- dirty chancer. Yeah, he lazy... Feckless, he was a gambler. Wanted he wanted to go out, get women and bring them back yeah, to... Uh, yeah. I think there was one episode Boozy where he tried to persuade birds. Stan to let him take him, take a bird back to number 13, yeah. but then also Eddie had a bird. He, yeah, he, and he was, he, was trying to, he was always trying to trick people. Yeah, but because it never worked and because he was always in a sort of a state of... Um, just always being losing out on everything. He was the underdog. It was like yeah. three even, against one in the Rovers yeah. without Annie Bet and Betty. Even more so than Stan and Hilda, because at least they had each other. But but Eddie, um, Fred, 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 yeah. <laughs> Fred, yeah, who was he? Could never get the better of anybody. Like for example, there was that bit where um, that episode where Bet decides that they're going to have a competition to see who can get the most amount of tips, and she knows she's going to win, mm. and Betty knows she's going to win. And Fred knows she's going to win. and But it's just really funny, like, their, their kind of response to it, because Bert was, like, all smiles and trying to get as much money as possible. Betty just like, I'm not even going to bother. And and Fred was like, this is just fundamentally unfair. I'm never going to win. Mm. And then in the end, Annie makes them divvy it out. Yeah. We, we got sucked into the story when um, he and Eunice were trying to get their own pub, weren't we? Which yeah. is another example of him and things never going right for him. Because Eunice G, she was in it for such a brief amount of time. Because I remember quite vividly from the Granada Plus episodes. But she was she was in and gone, wasn't she? But she was... Yeah. She was... Um, she was. I was always... I found it funny what... I didn't get what she saw in Frederick. Because no. she was a lot, a lot more glamorous, wasn't she? I think everybody, everybody thought that what... I think the thing was, they were both of a certain age and neither of them had kids. And she thought, I can mould this person into what I want out of life. But she realised pretty soon that it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And an example of how rubbish Fred was 
when they were going to get married, they couldn't. You couldn't even really find a best man. Nobody really wanted to be his best man, which is yeah, quite tragic. It was. It was totally tragic. But yeah, they got turned by down by the brewery because in you know days gone by, years gone by, Eunice had dipped her hand in the till or something, hadn't she? Yeah. But yeah, she had just. They ended stayed up, with. Um, they stayed with Annie, much to Annie's uh, disgust. Yeah, she did not like having to share her house with them because no. she wanted to be the queen of the roost but once fred and eunice got married eunice sort of wanted to be the woman of the house didn't she and it was yeah. a lot of yeah conflict but then eunice kind of just disappears off didn't she yeah. i don't think what we saw her final Bye. episodes but but that that was a really nice little um yeah little, little group of episodes that we watched together there yeah i can't really articulate why i found fred to be so hopelessly I guess he's kind of a bit like an Eeyore, you know? Like, he's always gloomy and grumpy and he tries his... Randy Eeyore. Yeah. A randy, <laughs> unlikable Eeyore. Um, who else did we have that was new? I'm just looking down our list. Victor, Victor Pendrel, I mean, the Mavis... I don't get Victor Pendlebury. Every single time he appears, you go, oh, it's Victor Pendlebury. Like, I'm supposed to get what? Is he, is yeah, and you go, is he been in it before? And he's like, he's that pompous ass that... I really don't get get it. He was he just... He's done nothing. He, he... Um, he is he going to do something then, at some point? Or has well, he done everything he's no, going to he, do? No, he comes back again. He's okay. just the, the love rival to, to Derek and Mavis. They're, they're, they're years... Of, oh, blimey, I was sorry. waiting for you to do that. Just their years and years long relationship because they're both, um, you know, too indecisive about getting married. And then Victor comes along and, and sweeps Mavis off her feet forcefully because he, he he's even more pompous than Derek. Um, and, and Mavis doesn't know what to know what to do. Well, she gets swept away with things, doesn't she? Because she's not got she's not got a forceful personality. So no. if somebody comes along and sort of compels her to do something, she'll pretty much do what. Yeah, but she, he, Victor ended up um, dancing with uh, Emily uh, on a Christmas dance because Mavis is too shy and mousy to go dancing with him. Um, he. He just there's there's one bit where he suggests having a trial marriage with her, which was weird. Sounds um, a bit like a cult. And and then just before she ends up going out with Derek, he comes and tries to convince her. He's he was just well, really... no no no. She gets engaged to Derek, and she spends the episode like on eggshells, trying to say to Rita, "Don't let Victor in. I'm scared of what he's going to say because he wants me, and so does." So does Derek, and I can't say yes to two men. And Rita spends the whole time like, "And you're a nitwit. You're a total nitwit." Did, what did you think about their relationship? And, and even Mavis, Rita and Mavis, because I remember before <laughs> in the early seventies, you were like, I, "I don't get Mavis. I don't know why she's so beloved." Did you? Did you grow? Oh to, no, grow I really to like her. Yeah, I because I just would. again, it's another one of like, <laughs> it's like somebody who gets downtrodden, like the um, underdog character and Mavis is the underdog but Rita just bullies her all the way through she's like a big sister who hates you she's a bit but, like Bet, isn't she Bet rules the roost yeah. and the rovers and bullies everyone that works there and Rita's just got Miss Mavis she's like I, I'm I'm compelled to be part of your life but I hold you in utter contempt mm. yeah I still have some affection for you underneath all of this um, hatred yeah. because she ends up so so there's the episode on these discs which is where Derek and Mavis eventually get engaged and then they both jilt each other at the altar Derek wasn't even in the episode I don't think I realised that's that how jilted Mavis was she spends the whole episode 
Yeah, with, clutching at her hanky. With Vita going, Rita, I just don't think I can go ahead with it. I, I, I don't know why I said I'd do it. I don't know what I'm doing. And Rita's like, Rita was not even trying to soften the blow or be a helpful She's like, friend. These people are probably at the wedding now. She's, Derek's probably there waiting Derek's at the waiting altar. for you. Get your, get your move what on. What are we going to say to him? Someone's going to have to go and tell everybody. Like, she's just going, you're just a troublemaker. Like, she, she's... Rita's so over Mavis that she's like, just marry him for the, my personal convenience because <laughs> I don't want to tell everybody that it's not going to go ahead. Yeah. And in the end... The, I loved it when they the, both the groom's yeah. car. Who who was it with the groom? I don't remember. The best man that I've never seen. Oh, the best, yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. And then Rita comes in. Um, the cars nearly crash into one another. Yeah, and then neither the bride nor the groom are in there. They march into the wedding, and then this organist, who's determined that she's going to play here, comes she's the like, bride, yep, starts playing play it, play. and then it goes. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of <laughs> button does that one? The on classic an kind of sitcom sort of that always on the organ and then when then they all find out that they've jilted each other and then all the guests get in a huff and leave and then the organist plays the music it's It's also really funny how everybody's squabbling about who left who and whose fault it is and yeah they get together eventually it takes them a little while but yeah Derek has been we've hardly seen him in the 80s has he he's just been in and out but he becomes I think I think it's from this point onward that he becomes more of a permanent fixture. I can't remember exactly when they get engaged and then married again though. Um, I'm just who else did we who else did we say goodbye? Elsie. We haven't even now. We barely Elsie. even touched on Elsie. Elsie had a bit of a drama on these discs when she set fire to the couch by smoking and falling asleep. I barely remember but that. that was one but of I do the remember Pat Phoenix's very good had. croaky voice that she put on. Yeah, and the director's like, no more smoking. She's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, so she didn't have a lot to do. She was just like being the mum figure to, to Marion, really, in the end, wasn't she? But uh, And she definitely, definitely was a character that started off at such highs and didn't quite keep it going until the end. They didn't know what to do with her. Where, whereas, as in, in the same way as Ina, I think, but whereas Annie stayed first right all the way through. Yeah. But at least Elsie had a fantastic exit. I, I will say that she totally redeemed herself yeah. at, in, in her exit storyline when Bill. Bill came back. And, Bill Gregory. And was so charming mm. and and sort of in awe of how magnificent a woman Elsie was, which is all, you know, everything the character deserved, really, from a man and had never had in the entirety of her run. Mm. A bit like what happened with Becky when, you know, she she was always unlucky in love and at the end of it she just got whisked away to a foreign country by some sexy man who you just assume will worship her for the rest of her life. So she ends up, he comes back and um, sort of whisks her off her feet a little bit, takes her out to a fancy restaurant and just shows her a picture of his... Portuguese bar. Bar and goes, oh, Elsie, it's fantastic. And she's like, no, Bill, what about my family and my life here? Because she lets him go off to London, doesn't she? And then she, um, I can't remember what spurs are on in the end, but she decides, right, I'm going. Oh, I th- wasn't it Bet or something? She goes to the ro- into the bar and then Bet's talking about, oh, I seize your chances or whatever. So then yeah. she goes and phones up Bill, who's at this dodgy looking hotel somewhere, beats him on the phone and says, I'm coming with you. And then she, she has a nice I little have- scene where she gets her stuff. She takes the photos of Linda and Dennis, walks down the street as a, as a flashback. She has a flashback. Of everybody having an argument with her. He also, yeah, yeah. And he also, he says on the phone to her, oh, Elsie, I love you. And she never says it back. And I absolutely love that because she keeps the power. 
mm. in this relationship and it really is everything that Elsie deserves yeah. so she yeah she ends up leaving in the taxi after saying now that's the question where the uh, the taxi driver says when are you coming back how long are you away for love? yeah now that's a question that's a that's a fantastic final and uh, final line she, that's the end we that's we never see Elsie we never again see her again but we do see Linda show up a few months later it's like you're not as glamorous as you were in the Don't 60s are you Linda she has to come and get rid of the house and all of the loose ends that Elsie's left behind. Because really, she really did. Is she the first person to do this on a Coronation Street where she goes, "I'm leaving," and then she just goes that episode yeah, with like nothing in her hand apart from one tiny suitcase and mm. a picture of her children. Yeah, leaving behind like a terraced house and all the contents. Yeah, but you you really loved Linda in the sixties, didn't you? And, I did. and this this version of her, it's she like, was very very beaten down by life. Basically, let's just, say. let's just say that. Well, another one who made a bit of a flip was Ina Sharples, wasn't it? Because she'd gone by, you know, Easter 1980s, so right at the very beginning of this disc. I think and it was another case of Violet Carson had been having health issues and she'd been on and off for a bit and she made a, she made a final appearance and she's off to Lytham St Anne's. She just comes back, tells everybody and I'm then going. that's the end of her. So weren't people having an argument and she's like, just interrupt you, but I'm leaving. And then she goes. I can't remember, I can't remember. But- this is the trouble. This is the trouble. There's always a dilemma, isn't there, about if you're an actor in Coronation Street and you're nearing the end of your career, do you want to cling on until the last possible moment and have no real ending for your character because mm. one day you just can't ever go back to work, or do you want to bow out with a big? I mean, just just think about the endings for Ina versus um, Hilda. Mm. You know, Hilda's exit is is one of the things yeah. that they show in clip shows. Ina's exit is just basically her going, "Well, bye then." I know it's a, it is. A, At least she had an exit. She had an exit. Unlike some of them some don't. Of the other characters, yeah. I mean, like Annie Walker just just left. Stan's final scene was quite sweet, wasn't it? Because he'd taken some money out of the hole in the wall, or out of the bank account, hadn't he? Yeah. And Hilda, the service counter. So yes, and and Hilda found out about this and was sort of laying in wait for him at home, just utterly distraught the fact that he'd s- stolen almost from their joint account. Mm. But then he's she she gives him a right ear bending, but he then says, look, look, this is my money. I won it. It was a compensation for when he stubbed his toe on the paving yeah. slab or something. And they end up having a kind of nice final scene together. Well, but he's was, like, I won't take any more then. Yeah, I won't take any more. I, I like, we're, yeah, I'm, I'm, we're together. We're a... Yeah, we're we're both we'll get through united this. in our end goal, which is that she wanted a nest egg. Yeah, yeah, and and then that was his final scene, mm. which was which is horrible. Um, no, you just said it was good. And, yeah, no, it was horrible that that was the end, but it was a it was a nice scene. At Annie's least, yeah. Annie's final scene was um, saying like, I'm going to spend my I'm going to spend my five pounds at the at the autumn, at the autumn fair, and I'll buy a couple of tins and and that'll I've do, lost, which yeah. is which is a real shame. Um, we had. Um, Oh, we've, we've we said hello again and goodbye to Billy Walker in this period, didn't we? Because after Annie left, he, he comes had to in, come back, and yeah. I never really liked Billy back in the seventies, and I certainly didn't like him now. And I don't, um, he he was he was horrible piece of work, wasn't he? When he came back and he he ousted Fred from the Rovers, he tried to take over. He was um, he thought he you know because it was his mum's that he could he was the lord of the manor. He's definitely an Tri- antagonist. Yeah, and I don't remember him being that much of an antagonist before. But I, there's just something about him, something slimy that didn't sit right with me. So it felt right that he was, yeah, horrible in the end. So I'm, I'm glad that we've seen the last of him now. Um, 
I, I think... Uh, what? I feel like we're running out of things to talk no, about. No, I think we should just go through Go year through by a few other now. highlights, a few other highlights. Okay. So, like, 1980 was the year that we saw the end of Rainey Bradshaw. Oh, yeah. With Pulse her through the, through the face, which didn't ever happen. We talked about her a bit on our YouTube character profile, didn't we? Yeah. Now that we've So, your memory of her death was that she was in a car and a pole went through her face and you got to see all the blood everywhere. But yes, actually, she just drove down to stuck... And in a learned car, and a, and a lorry hit her, and she just kind of died the next episode. Yeah, um, that was we quite, didn't, quite a good death, really. In the end, we got to see a YouTube episode where Alf is told about her dying in hospital, and um, he gets breathalysed because he's been drinking, and it was a bit of a you know sad. Mm. And it really, it's really sad also because at the very beginning of these di- of this disc, of these discs, Alf is the is you know his his spouse dies, and he has to prepare the funeral and let everyone know and sort of clear up the, the you know the paperwork that happens after someone dies and then for the rest of the time well every time someone dies they're like Alf you know what happens when someone dies can you do it because he actually saw out Len and also Stan yeah. Yeah. he sort of took charge yeah um, we also in 1980 had Bet's back to front dress episode after her house did she get raided or something or she it? Got, yeah, yeah so her house gets robbed so um, Annie lends her some of her clothes and then she accidentally puts the, the dress on backwards that's a real classic Bet and Annie scene but the rest of the episode I thought was fairly uneventful it also had that, that episode was around the time that Martin Chavesky was in it which was a, a newly made up grandson for Elsie and he yeah. was a trial character that went down like a lead balloon <laughs> They, they tried a few times to bring in relatives of Elsie. Yeah. Who who that weren't her children and they never caught on. No. Which is very weird because and it's like they really wanted they couldn't handle Elsie as a as a middle-aged woman even though she was in her 30s at the beginning of the show. They they could they could write for her as a siren who was unlucky in love. But once she got of a certain age they tried to turn her into a matron like mother hen figure and kept giving her relatives and wards and mm. and lodgers and it never really worked out no it didn't um we had um we had nick being born at the end of 1980 uh, what did you how any any what do you how do you reckon that the gail and brian relationships going along at the beginning of the 80s i just really don't get why brian and gail are together why i just think they're not suited at all to one another well, but I, I did like I do like their storylines. I do like their kind of like the what their storylines together. I just don't really they just they feel a very believable couple. And when she's raising the baby, you, you said at the time that it didn't feel like a baby was shoved in there to have a baby storyline. You, you got it's, to see on Coronation Street now. It always feels like characters have their lives and then they have a baby like attached, and the and the the purpose of the baby is for Let's the character to say... Let's do a story about being a mum. No, no. No? No, in modern Corrie, the purpose of a baby is so that they can have lines about who's babysitting them and what they're doing. Nothing else seems to happen with children on Coronation Street apart from there's drama when they get pregnant. Are they going to keep it? Who's the father? When are they going to give birth? Is it going to be at Christmas? Right? Or is it going to be in hospital? Or what's going to happen? Once the baby's born, they just become a burden... Until yeah, they're like the it. age of twelve, and then they finally develop a personality and get a new actor. Whereas in Coronation Street now, it feels like you're watching them juggle, what you know, what they want to do and their lives, and you see things in, like Gail in, in the eighties. You mean in in the eighties, Gail's like, 
I've got to make Nikki's dinner. I'm going to... Oh, Nikki's, Nikki's gone for a nap. Or I, I want a job, Ivy. Uh, and I was like, no, you can't have a job. You're a mum, you know? Our Ivy is the best thing about that whole family unit, I still think. She's re- really believable as a mother-in-law. Yeah, so protective over Brian. Yeah. I, I also enjoy playing um, what what colour hair is Ivy going to have this episode Ivy's game. Ivy's always got she a goes, different colour. She's red, she's brunette, she's blonde. They should have seen the lip thing coming, really, shouldn't they? She the, can maybe, keep... Yeah, they should. Audrey's had a, a few more appearances as well, hasn't she? There was a recent episode we watched where Audrey had a boyfriend who got fresh with Gail and then Brian found out yeah. And then tried to beat him up. Yeah. But it was really funny watching the dynamic between Audrey, Gail and Ivy because Ivy's Brian's mum, Audrey's Gail's mum, they could not be com- more opposite in terms of personality. No, which is great. Audrey's like a frivolous, flighty, materialistic airhead who who comes and invites herself around for dinner gets the wine out, makes Gail cook a prawn cocktail and then Ivy comes in from work, you know, and then in in sort of whisks this man that, that Audrey's involved in who Ivy sees as a threat to Gail and, well, mostly her, her Brian's marriage. And it just feels like... And Audrey's so completely oblivious to all the chaos that she's causing and her main concern about this argument that, that her boyfriend's having with Gail and Brian is that she gets to keep the engagement ring that he gave her at the end of it because it's really expensive <laughs> and nice looking. Yeah. And she's just kind of like, oh dear, and then kind of floats off at the end of it, leaving absolute chaos in her wake. Yeah. While Ivy's there just going, what the hell just happened? Why... why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, speaking of Ivy at work, the factory stuff, I'm not particularly finding that interesting. I thought I thought the factory would be way more of a focus and there'd be more of like... I was expecting more of it. Maybe that's Mike, to come in the second you half. Know, but... de- doing deals on the phone and... Yeah, I'm just not, not that excited by it. We've had a couple of stories where various characters have been sent to Coventry by other characters. Pe- We've stories had... about people wanting to be supervisor or not. Yeah, it's... It it doesn't change, does it? That's still that's still what they have. I mean, maybe not so much recently, but it's just rinse and repeat, really, the factory stuff, which is why when Underworld had that collapse uh, last year, I thought it was maybe time to Get call it a day. It. Um, we all, we're in the factory, we've also seen... Is, is this the period when Ida Clough came in, or maybe she was in in the 70s, I can't remember. We've also had Shirley Armitage, who's, who's snuck in, who ends up being a girlfriend of Curly's in the late 1980s. So she's one to watch. Oh, who's Ida? Ida Clough is just there in the factory. Yeah. She's like an alien that's beamed down to, like, observe human nature, but not get involved. <laughs> not get involved in any stories. Well, that's where Shirley is at the moment. It's mostly... It's it's Vera and Ivy, really, isn't it? And, and sometimes Elsie's there. And Mike. Yeah. So go, get back to work, you, you hen-pecking idiots. Yeah. But, yeah, I'm... Uh, there was else? a funny episode um, in 1981 where Hilda thinks ha- stands at, played away with um, Frida, who was played by the actress who played Connie Rathbone before oh, yeah, she yeah, was yeah. Connie Jack's, Rathbone. Jack's post Vera squeeze Connie Rathbone. And he and she there's a really funny scene where she's interrogating Frida, I think about whether she slept with Stan or spent the night with Stan and she can't remember because lots of men take her home and it's all just a blur. That was really funny. I like the episode where Fred G gets a massage because he's done his back in or something or he's pretending that he's done his back in because he's hoping to get some beautiful Swedish masseuse come and and, uh, massage all the knots out but then it turns out that it's some bloke from the 
for the rugby, rugby club, club some, yeah, yeah buff guy there 1981 was also the year that charles and i got married i think is it and yes. and also the year that we had ken and deirdre and i yeah, know we had ken from, and deirdre and then the next episode all the residents were going and watching charles and i's wedding i know from tv guides because i really like vintage magazines so sometimes i look them up on ebay and look at the episode uh what was in them and stuff and i know that coronation street was really wanting to bill Ken and Deirdre as the other mm. wedding of 1981, like the TV event after Charles and I, you know, the, mm. the most important one. So that was really fun. And they did mention it as well. And like you say, um, on, a, on the YouTube, there's a YouTube episode where Hilda gets a colour TV for the day. Um, I know a lot of people ended up buying colour TVs yeah. for Charles to and Diana's wedding in things. real life. So that was yeah. quite a timely yeah. Um, episode. I enjoyed the, um, Annie Walker's New Year's party going from 1982 to 1983 when um, everyone has to prepare this party that Annie's put on and then they're the guests in it in the end and they basically just end up bickering and it's also everyone convinces Fred that oh, they're buying each other a present so he he gets he like the cheapest box of chocolates or something doesn't he? And then, well he buys everyone a present yeah. thinking he's going to get a present off everyone else. But he doesn't get anything. And um and it just falls completely flat because Bet has to go, sorry, we thought it'd be funny, but actually it's really sad that you just bought us a present we didn't get you anything. Yeah. That was what, we had a bit of Hilda singing in that episode, didn't we? They're going, memories. <laughs> I liked Hilda in the, um, when was it that she was doing? That was at her wedding Was that the party? Was that... Was I thought it? it was. No, I thought it was more... Re- no, it wasn't. That was at the talent show contest where Percy does his farmyard impressions, Elf does his awful stand-up comedy, and um, Ivy and Vera do their couple of swells dance. And yeah. then at the very end of it, Hilda gets up and starts singing. I love Hilda singing. Um, what else did we have? I think we've kind of covered most of it, you know. We've we've gone through all the good bits. I'm uh, just scrolling oh, down. You're going so far. I know that we've talked. This is all 1983. We I talked know. about that. 1984 TV license. Billy's back. Um, we had that. We had Eddie and Marion's wedding on a YouTube episode, and and she's scared of her mum finding out that she's pregnant. But at this point, the cat's out of the bag because at the at the part at the hen party, Stan tells everybody that Marion's pregnant, and then Fred gets in a fight with Eddie and mm. ends up being knocked out yeah. so marion has to tell her mum at before the wedding takes place because she's scared that somebody's going to bring it up and she's like super super mad about it and they have another very protracted wedding scene where we hear all the vows and you can always tell which characters coronation street wants you to be more focused on than others by how much time we spend on their wedding mm. Yeah, that, that that was a really lovely wedding ceremony, wasn't it? And it yeah. was it was a, like it was a bit like uh, was it Stephen Stephen Elsie's like lots of long vows. It was just yeah, yeah. lovely. Romantic- the reason why yes. Marion and Eddie end up leaving in the show anyway is because Marion's mum gets sick and she wants to go and look after her, and so mm. Eddie and her fall out. But at the end of the day, he agrees to move to Bury, I think it is. Yeah. To and he kind of accepts that he has to move into a new chapter of his life because I think before then. Eddie was sort of under the impression that everything would carry on like it already had, except he'd be married to Marion. Mm. But Marion was like, now, now we're a family of our own and yeah. you've got responsibilities beyond just you and Hilda and Stan. It did remind me a little bit of um, Lloyd and Andrea in a way, is like the cheeky scouser that ends up 
who who could well have been just a bachelor forever, but yeah. then beautiful Finds woman comes along, lass. goes off with them, and then six Gets months later they phone the Rovers, and yeah, then we find out that they've had a baby. Yeah, and very it's a, sweet. it's a nice, yeah, happy ending for a character that sort of yeah, really really lovable characters. Yeah, so nineteen eighty three was like you said all pretty good stuff, and then nineteen eighty four begins with Elsie leaving. Yeah. I think um, we covered everything in 1984. Um, Maris and Dave may... Well, one thing that happened was engagement. that wasn't actually on the episode, on the discs, but the very famous episode, which was the Olympics, which you mentioned, which was the year of the Olympics. So they, Coronation Street did a Rovers versus the Flying Horse pub Olympics, mm. um, where they have various hilarious... Uh, um, yeah, they have, they have this tug of war. Don't they? they have the egg and spoon race because there's a very, really famous um, publicity shot of yeah. Vera, um, Hilda and I can't remember, uh, Bette carrying their egg and spoon all next to each other, which yeah, is clearly going. staged because the, the actual races themselves on the street felt like they were over in 10 seconds. It's like the three-legged race. Yeah. They only had to run it race about ten meters. I know, and they I didn't even all start. The t- the I same... know by the time the people have gone past the start, the, the finish line, and some people are still there at the start. No, that was an all right episode. And that was pretty much it, really. That we had was pretty a much a tiny it. little bit about Ken having a a kiss with Sally at work. Oh yeah, but manages to end up with the, with. Deirdre apologising to him yeah. for being jealous about it, which I thought was was yeah, quite remarkable. Yeah. So that that's it. That is the, the our, our review of the first half of the nineteen eighties. I very much enjoyed it. I stand by what I said at the beginning that there may not be have been as many stone cold classics in this era as there were back in the nineteen sixties. But on the whole, I would say the standard was higher than I enjoyed in the nineteen seventies. Um, and that includes the production as well, because one thing I didn't, one thing I did miss was um, shouting out "boom" quite so often, because we certainly didn't see so many booms appearing yeah. in the top of shots. So um, come on, bring them back. Yeah, sometimes more polished isn't better. Mm, yeah, it, it, the the changing of the guard was was really this the, era, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, the hallmark of this era was Lot, lots of big big names from the early days gone, fresh blood coming in. We've still got though a real solid cast to take us through into the second half of the 80s. There's nobody new that they really added in this period of time that that I feel like... There are, you know, well, like Ke- Kevin Watts. And, Kevin yeah. and Percy are the but main... I, mm, yeah, but there's, there's a lot more people that left. Yeah, But definitely. luckily, like you said, there are already in place some really big, big characters, yeah. so... Yeah, and and Jack, who made a lot of a very brief appearance in seventy eight, seventy nine, his he was basically new for the eighties, wasn't he? They yeah. uh, they knew they were onto a winner there. It's also really interesting watching episodes that you know were made when you were born, or mm. you know, because I was born in eighty, you were eighty three, and so we're watching these episodes, going, "Yep, this is what life was like when we were when we were babies. Everything was beige. People were smoking everywhere." The, the corner shop still feels very quaint. I don't ever remember. Yeah, because it's still not self-service, counter, is it? Counter service. I don't remember ever being in a shop that was counter service when I was little. No. But I wouldn't have had a memory of it because it was still, I was still mm. very young. Even though everything was very beige, I would say that the living conditions was better. People felt less poverty-stricken in yeah. the 80s than they had done in the 1970s where all everyone's walls were mucky and there was... Oh, it's- 
it was just like empty shells with tables and chairs and they, they felt yeah. more like homes yeah and also a lot more just casual drinking wine as well which is obviously like we know as we know now mm. a hallmark of a more upwardly mobile yeah and kind of more kind of cosmopolitan exactly. world of, of people we've also um we've still been watching when we've been putting them on youtube we've been in the middle of the episode stopping and doing a little google search or youtube search for eight adverts from that particular year yeah which it's i really strongly good fun. I highly recommend, recommend it. uk so adverts fun. 1980 whatever we still haven't come across any adverts that we remember seeing at the time because no. we were only little but there was a few famous ones like we watched the uh, the Capri's Caramel Bunny was on an advert yeah. the other day. and um, it's, it's funny seeing the trends in the adverts change, isn't it? And it's so electronic. It's so, so 80s yeah, everything yeah. at the moment, isn't it? The sound effects they use and the graphics. One thing that Brits really liked in the 80s and, and even, well, up until the 80s, because it was very popular before then as well, is, is a man with a posh voice telling you, you have to buy this product because it's the best one there is. <laughs> you know what That's I mean? all you needed. Like, this cigar is the best one there is, so buy it. This beer is the most delicious beer there's ever been. Mm. You'd be a fool not to try it out. <laughs> but a lot more comedy as well, being... There was a lot, lot more comedy in... in in UK adverts in the 1980s it was it was much less kind of slick and now there's just like a modern sheen to everything and it's all CG and they they just want to make this product look really sexy but but back then they just wanted to yeah let you have a laugh about it and and that's how it drew you in one thing I will still never get over is how similar the price some of the prices for things are what you'd pay now like what? well you know like um, like toys and things like £100 for a toy that's how much you pay now or like shirts and stuff lots of things lots of things were really cheap like food and drink was was much cheaper than it is now but in terms of how much like luxuries cost the the price has not has not changed even though the value of that amount of money is infinitely smaller than now than it is than it was Mm. back then i remember reading somewhere that in the 70s you could buy a shirt for 30 quid which is how much they cost now yeah so I'm just eternally grateful for being born <laughs> in such an era of like extraordinary wealth for very average people. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward, to, uh, and I'm wondering whether the adverts that we watched in the second half of the 1980s will start to go. I remember, I remember watching that. that, especially as we get to like 88, 89, when we were sort of seven, eight, nine yeah. years old, and we probably would have been just plonked in front of the TV probably, all the time, yeah. so that would be quite cool. Also, I do, I do remember in the early 2000s, I think, there was a big nostalgia for vintage adverts being played as, like, mm. as current adverts, like the red car and the blue car. What was that That's advert for? Way. That That got revived, didn't it? Quite yeah. a few of the classic ad- um, yeah. adverts got revived brought, on TV it was like they brought back the Tetley T folk and they had yeah. they had a bit more of the uh, PG tips monkeys until oh, they, yeah, they weren't allowed to do allowed that to, anymore no. yeah so anyway, there you go that's the world of the early stuff. 80s in Coronation Street and advertising yeah <laughs> a, a, a very good era of Coronation Street I think I was thinking it was going to be wall to wall brilliance which it wasn't 1983 for me was you got yourself to blame for that yeah and and um, well, well, we'll see what the second half of the 1980s brings. What does brings. it hold in store? I think, I mean, what are we now? We're mid-September now. We'll definitely get the second half of the 80s done this year. I can't believe I it's don't, September. I don't know whether we're going to get the first half of the 90s done by the time the uh, the year is out, but we'll see. And and I wonder what that's going to be like as well, because all, everything that I'm watching now, or a lot of what we watched in this 1980s one, 
I had seen before, but it was 20 years ago, so I didn't really remember it. When we get to the first half of the 1990s, I've literally just watched it in the last few years on ITV3. Every single episode, we're like, oh yeah, I remember watching this a few years ago, and I don't think it's going to feel oh, the same. Oh no. But I'll, but I'll be able to fill you in on a lot That's of That's um, the thing, because a little at gap, the moment, a lot of gaps. Uh, th- at the moment, the reason, one of the reasons why we spent a lot of time watching extra YouTube episodes of these, of these is that there were, every decade we get through, there were more and more episodes of Coronation Street and mm. fewer standalone episodes. And so you have to fill in the gap somehow. Yeah. And watching them on YouTube is a good way of doing that. But yeah. it just takes longer. Well, I'm sure that you know, next summer, by the time we finally reach uh, our end? stopping point of 2010, we'll be going uh, back and uh, seeing a few more. We will, we yes, will. Yes. yes. Right. Thank you for Thank listening. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, do write in and let us know your comments on this. Do you, yeah. you agree? Do you disagree? Were you as much of a fan of Fred G as Gemma was? And, I think um, you're over over <laughs> advertising my love of Fred G. Yeah, I, no, I'm not at the time. You're like, oh, poor Fred, poor Fred. You always just say. Anyway, um, conversationstreet <laughs> at gmail.com is our email address. You can tweet us. Uh, at Twitter and thank you to um, Corypedia and 70 Street Fan for being in contact with us all the way through this to, to yeah. recommend other episodes and, and give us the links and everything really really appreciated that yeah you guys have been really helpful um, we are on Facebook we are on Patreon we are on all manner We're of all over social media platforms like and I'm sure there's a lot that we haven't even heard of that all the kids are using these days but Flim we don't flam. need them that's it Thank you for listening, everybody. Don't forget to listen to our other podcast this week where we talk about the first six episode a week Coronation Street in a very long time. So that's probably going to go on for... Yeah, but you say that, but we've been watching tens of episodes of Coronation <laughs> right Street a week in the past year. Really, really have. So it doesn't matter. Right, we're done. Yeah, we're we done. We need to eat our dinner. Yeah. Bye. So goodbye, though. The music for this episode came from podcastthemes.com. <laughs>